0: Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. I I, I don't want to brag, but I did finish third. In the statewide competition for semi truck driving non professionals yesterday, there were only three people in my division. But hey, make the best of what you have, huh? It was a blast. Please join me for a brief prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And Lord, Help us all to just shut out the world for 30, 40 minutes here, Lord, just to concentrate on you and what, what you may have for us through your scriptures today. Let us not think about the carries or our to-do, the, 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 the heavy burdens we carry or, or the to-do list that, that we have to get done later today or, or whatever it is in our mind. Just let us focus on you and help us to understand who you are and what you want from us and we pray these things in Jesus holy name amen well since I was talking about personal things with my great accomplishment I want to start by asking a rather personal question just so I have a better idea of who we're talking with this morning do we have any murderers in the room this morning (laughs) raise raise your hands I see one guy going convicted right (laughs) okay okay well we start in Scripture, in Matthew 5 21, where Jesus said, You have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger. Of the fires of hell this morning we're continuing in the series called the red letters Jesus said and today's edition is titled but I say my inspiration for this series was the the recognition that our world seems more lost and frustrated than ever before right and there are hundreds of millions looking for answers to all sorts of questions about huge problems Facing our world and the realization that a clear understanding of the words that Jesus said which in many Bibles are printed in red contain answers all the people of the earth are searching for and Over the last six messages that I've been able to bring We've carefully gone through different sections at the beginning of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew in chapter 5 and this is a long message From Jesus and it's looked at as just one of the most important teachings of the Bible but more important perhaps the most impactful teaching throughout all of history even those who don't follow Jesus as Lord and Savior look to his words here in this particular message as world-changing and with the standards he expressed jesus started an historical movement that continues today but many even those in the christian church don't truly understand what jesus was telling that large gathering of both common people and the religious leaders who were listening to him on the side of the hill that day and by necessity and due to time restraints we've had to look at this critically important teaching from Jesus one small section at a time every couple of weeks so we can be sure we we clearly understand his intent and I know it's more difficult to follow along when it's not the same person here every week in consecutive order and we're sorry but we're doing the best that we can as a team to 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 bring you continuity and, and good solid messages as personal schedules allow and we thank you for your understanding if you're reading along with us or reading ahead through the Sermon on the Mount, I encourage you to try to look at the entirety of his message as one sermon, as something that Jesus planned very carefully to be heard and learned and studied, and most importantly, lived from the beginning of what he said to the very end and as I mentioned it starts in Matthew 5 and it doesn't wrap up until Matthew 7 verse 29 it's a lot of information and guidance and every bit of it is tied together as one unified message and we need to understand the blessings he brings up at the very beginning which we call the Beatitudes in order to be clear about the conclusions he reaches at the end and Jesus masterfully ties in Every subject in between. Each section, topic, and set of illustrations helps us to understand the next ones to follow. And looking at it as one carefully thought out message is extremely important to our overall understanding of what he was conveying. And, and if we don't realize that fact, then this beautiful and, and powerful lesson in life is in danger of what has happened for for centuries people taking one or two parts exclusive of the others and using them in a very different way than Jesus intended his message was not a disjointed collection of random thoughts and oh yeah I just thought of something else I wanted to tell you each section is in and of itself a pearl of wisdom a beautiful pearl of wisdom But we need to string them all together to appreciate the beautiful strand of brilliant teaching and guidance it is designed to be. A gorgeous pearl necklace. We're not to mix and match these subjects or sections at will in isolation of other parts. We need them all in order to understand and correctly utilize them. Now, the most common mistake that most people make, and I've been guilty of this myself at times, is believing that Jesus was giving us new laws. The first 10 commandments given to Moses long before had already proven they were and still are absolutely impossible for human beings to keep. And this, we have learned, was to show us our need for a savior. And I promise, that Jesus did not come up with all the things we're going to study today and in the weeks to come just to pile on, just to make us feel like more of a failure spiritually than we already do. Jesus loves us and did not come to present a version of faith that made him seem meaner than Moses. His message to us is not, holier has to be harder. I'm going to really crack down on you guys. His point was that mankind, over the centuries from when the law had been given until he taught this, had taken what God had presented to them as good and simple and right and had used it in a way that was bad and complicated and very wrong. Not what God had intended at all. Because mankind turned the law into looking at the things we did or the acts we didn't do The Pharisees felt that they were righteous because they had not committed murder, even though they may have hated someone in their heart. Jesus says, thinking, it is as bad as doing it. If you think it, it's the same thing. And by this point in time, many of the religious leaders who were listening were thinking exactly that. This Jesus needs to be gone. We're going to have to kill him. So in the coming passages and chapters, Jesus carefully navigates through a long list of common and very serious human issues that every single one of us deal with at some point in our lifetime, usually quite often. And you'll notice that again and again, he says, you have been told that the law says, and then he gives God's point of view, the true intent, the reason it was written. And if anyone should know that, it's Jesus, because He is God, and Scripture tells us that God wrote the law. So throughout His long and very detailed discourse, you'll also notice Him repeatedly saying, you've heard that the law says X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, but I say, followed by His response, His better, fuller explanation, God's way of wanting us to look at each particular subject. Now concerning the phrase, you have heard that the law says, very few, if anybody, any people had access to the actual scrolls of the scriptures back then. Only the elite could read them if they were somehow able to gain access. They were rare and extremely fragile and highly valued. most relied on the oral tradition of Scripture being handed down through generations verbally. And for the vast majority of the faithful, especially those listening on this day, hearing the Word of God from others was their only access to it. They didn't have Bibles like we, like we do now. And, and hearing it from Jesus must have been quite the treat because a lot of these people never even got to hear it in the temple. They weren't allowed in because they weren't good enough just second and third hand, as it had been passed out through the communities. And as we just said, he always follows it with the phrase, but I say. So we have to keep in mind how astounding that fact alone, those words must have been to those who were listening. You say, who gives you the authority to override and overrule our great leader Moses? who back then they looked at almost on equal ground with God himself. Some of them had to be waiting for the lightning to strike. Without Jesus actually saying it, he was telling them that he was in fact God himself and that he had the proper understanding to some things that they had been taught in a wrong way. So let's go back to our first passage of Scripture today and, and look at it a little more carefully this time. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Hoo, hoo, hoo anybody feel convicted Jesus jumps from me being angry at someone to being the same as guilty of murder because Jesus understands that the horrible act of murder almost always starts with a tiny seed of anger or contempt that eventually turns to hate and outrage so he's simply taking a step back in the process and looking at the original source of murder what it is that causes the chain of thoughts and actions that lead up to it, and it is anger. And anger is a subject I'm an expert at. Let me clarify that. I'm certainly an expert at getting angry. I'm not always so great at dealing with it in a good and godly way. We know that allowing any form of anger or contempt to gain a foothold in our mind is like adding gasoline to a fire. A dangerous or destructive outcome is almost inevitable and most murders start with a small spark of anger that over time is fanned into small flames which eventually erupt into an inferno that is always damaging to every party involved. And it often begins with disdain and disgust for others. Or us feeling we've been shortchanged, treated poorly, we've been disrespected. And that is especially hard for we men to take. Calling someone denigrating names or cursing them may not seem like a big deal to us, but it is to our holy God. The person you are insulting or being hateful towards is His creation made in the image of God. And we have to stop and think about that. Jesus loves us enough to warn us that we're endangering our eternal standing with our Lord when we allow those behaviors and actions to become a regular part of our way of thinking or acting. A habit. A really bad habit. And Jesus is here to say, knock it off. All of us are guilty as charged. And man, how many times I have been condemned Convicted this week while putting together this message. It's embarrassing how many times I've Innocently without thinking about it started to lose it and Those I work with in traffic at, at, at home with my 86 year old mother sweet little old lady and I was guilty of murdering her in my mind four times on Friday Is my hair singed? <laughs> Do my clothes smell smoky? I admit I came dangerously close to the fires of hell several times by getting upset, especially in traffic. It, it's almost—it's so in- instinctive for most of us, right? Uh, calling another driver a name or, or cursing them, even a lot of times for small infractions. The Holy Spirit, though, this week and it's been happening for a while convicted me right away each time and I asked him to forgive me and I asked him to change me to help me become more like him so let's think carefully on this pray for Jesus to change our hearts making us much more aware of the importance of what we say to others There are so many beautiful scriptures about the words that we say, and I picked out just one from Proverbs 18, 4 to share this morning. A person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook. We don't stop and think about the impact and power our words may have on others. Are they encouraging and wise or discouraging and foolish? We stand up here and at the parties and everything, say wonderful things to our graduating seniors, but what did we say along the way to get them there, right? If everything you say to others is based on the foundation of God's guidelines, they'll come to you again and again for a refreshing drink of wisdom, support, and love. And this naturally opens the door for us to gently and generously share the way, the truth, and the life known as Jesus and have you ever thought of trying to capture trying to catch your natural knee-jerk responses of anger before you acted on them we have to train our brain to immediately pray for those who cut us off in traffic or are rude to us at the store or any of the other things many things that we all put up with every single day I was talking with one of our guys this morning about some very rude treatment his wife received at a medical facility this last week and it's not easy to get through this in a good and godly way but it can be done and what Jesus says here is very eye-opening the more we look into it the more powerful and important it should become to us Now, we already mentioned again, I think it's important, we're stressing, Jesus is not changing the law of Moses. He's not making it even more restrictive or adding tougher rules. He's simply clarifying the original intent, God's reason for giving us the law in the first place. God doesn't need to change the law because it is perfect. The only thing that needs to change is us, our hearts, and our minds. And if you thought Jesus was setting a high standard there with that first passage, let's take a look at the one that follows, Matthew 5, 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God and we don't do altars and temples and sacrifices now but it perfectly applies to our situation here today at the church the word sacrifice in today's modern language is your gift your donation to the church even your presence in the worship service as you're gifting your time to be in the presence of the Lord and his word so your gift equates with your sacrifice and Jesus says before you can present it you have to practice loving kindness towards your brother or sister anyone really who is upset with you and over the series we've been introducing and trying to begin using the Hebrew word has said for loving kindness why do I have a feeling that if we all prayed for a few moments and then promised God to practice this right away this room would be nearly empty before I could get into my next few paragraphs because the human nature is that we're all angry or upset with someone somewhere right even if it goes back into the past maybe it happened even just recently more likely it's a big bunch of someone's if we really think about it and every single one of us knows someone who's upset with us fractured relationships even within families, especially within families. And I know this so well from personal experience. My brother Rusty and I did not speak for about 12 years. We'd always been pretty good buds growing up. And then something happened between our very young sons, and we strongly disagreed, and it escalated into chilling silence and separation, and we lived cross-country, so it was easy to, to ignore each other. God finally put it on my heart after more than a decade through this verse that I needed to try and fix things. I had a class reunion coming up in the town where I grew up, and I knew I'd be there in nine months. So on a whim, I just called his wife, and I asked her to tell him that I was coming in September, and I wanted to talk to him. And she was like, oh, Steve Rusty, well, yeah. And I said, I know, I know. I don't want to put you in a bad spot, but I'm putting you in a bad spot. Just, just mention this to him and and then the next month I called again and I just added a little bit to it and I called every single month and the last the last month I called each week and he, I didn't put a lot of pressure but I just you know I I, I kind of upped the ante and I said hey I, I just I just want to meet face to face I just want to talk I, I just just want to do this it was always the same response from her until the day before I arrived and she said Rusty agreed he'd meet with you if I can come, and if we meet in a restaurant somewhere. So we did. We had a casual, cordial, very awkward conversation at dinner. Never brought up the touchy subject or anything other than, how have you been, what's been going on? And he'd been through a very, very difficult time in his life. I knew that. And as we were leaving, I mentioned that I I had some free time the next day and I'd like to drop by while she was at work. I didn't get much of an answer on the way home she called and she said Rusty's just not up for for, for that but thanks okay no worries well I went to a a football game and on the way home she called and said hey um, Rusty asked if you would come over after the reunion tonight and I went to his apartment late and we sat and we talked until 4 in the morning about the hard stuff gently and quietly but directly I apologized from the bottom of my heart for what I had done wrong I listened to him go on and on about how he had been offended and wronged in his mind and I just let him say whatever he needed to without responding without defending myself or making excuses and I simply apologized and took whatever he had to throw at me not allowing myself to feel any anger I certainly didn't agree with most of the things he said or thought but I'd made a a personal commitment to Jesus that becoming friends with my brother was more important than my pride and I swallowed my pride and it was so worth it from that day forward we were best friends again we lived 800 miles apart but we spoke on the phone at least once a week for at least 60 to 90 minutes and it was just so beautiful and I had no clue that nine months later he was going to pass away in his sleep and it was such a blessing that I had been led by the Lord to take that little step and I encourage any of you to do the same thing because it's a fact that very often our personal pride keeps us from making things right with those who have something against us we make excuses We always, almost automatically, justify our behavior by bringing up their mistakes. Yeah, I was wrong for saying ABC, but he never should have said XYZ in the first place. And he did it before that too. Or She's always doing that, and I'm just done with her behavior. I don't care if I never speak to her again, right? And again, I don't want to make this message all about me, but I understand it in a, a personal way because the family I grew up in Four of the six of us are still alive and none of the other three communicators speak with each other at all. And this is the closest blood relation you can have in a family that had a very wonderful upbringing and I know this situation would be terribly hurtful to my father who's been gone from this life for 15 years and I do my level best every time I get the strength and the energy to get those three to take one small step be, be back towards reconciliation to put away their pride to stop missing out on the best relationships life has to offer and I'll admit I have failed so far for many years but i have seen some tiny glimmers of hope the past year and i admit i do get discouraged and there's times when i even get depressed and i have to take a break because i can't do it constantly or they won't talk to me either but but i can't give up trying i can't god has put it on my heart and as we discussed During a look at the Beatitudes a while back that the peacemakers will be blessed But it's also a fact that they'll become a target and attacked by both sides the ones they're trying to bring together And we can never forget as a church that pride is the worst sin in God's eyes It was pride that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven Spending the rest of eternity to this day as the one we call the devil Satan Now, we don't believe that Jesus is making a blanket statement. He's not saying you can't come to church if you have anything against anyone. But he is upping our awareness tremendously here because he wants that to happen. God desires for us to be at peace with our brothers and sisters. And he tells us to make an honest effort. And that often usually means making it more than once. We can't expect well i tried and he didn't take it i i tried and she was she was gruff with me that that doesn't work it's the kind loving forgiving understanding heart that god wants us to have and you may say steve i don't have that kind of heart i get it i didn't either for 12 years with my brother but the bible says we don't have because we don't ask That's in James. And in John 14, 13, Jesus said, You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So the question becomes, are you willing to humble yourself and ask Jesus for the courage and the wisdom and the godliness to go and apologize to someone who holds hardness in their heart against you or you against them? Even if you feel like it was all their fault, because don't we always? Are you willing to swallow your pride and put the wrong things they did or said on the back burner or just bury it? Because if you refuse to do that, and I know many of us are guilty of having done that for many, many years, you are severely damaging your personal relationship with Jesus. He doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your mercy. Go read that in Hosea. There's a lot about that in many places in the Bible. He doesn't want sacrifice. He wants your mercy. And He requires our obedience. Now, this takes us full circle straight back to the Pharisees and the other religious elite. They knew the law. They talked a good game. Boy, they could could spit it out by memory, verse, everything. But they did not do what the Lord told them to. They learned the law, but they did not even try to live the law because they didn't love the law. Jesus said, In John 14 23 all who love me will do what I say and that brings such a huge reward he continues my father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me so it seems pretty simple do we love Jesus or not and if so then we've each got some homework a job to get on an assignment for the next week next month maybe the next 10 years depending on how long our list is right we need to ask and pray for his guidance we need to make a call write a letter send a text something that's honest and open and moves towards peace and reconciliation or we're basically wasting our time at church now, don't get me wrong, we want you here, and this is, you know, this, this is not a, a haven for perfect people. It's, it's a hospital for sinners. But we've got to try and get well or we're wasting our time because God won't accept our offerings, our sacrifices, and it severely hinders our prayers. Now, I know some of you hear this and may be thinking, man, oh, man, Steve, you are not going to see me for a long time. But I trust that Jesus is kind and loving and reasonable. And if there's a big long list of people like this in your life, just start with one this week and another next week and so on. Making an honest effort. And, and keep in mind that we, we can't do this false human thing of, well, I'm willing to meet them halfway. I'm going to go out to the 50-yard line and that's really big of me. No, it's not. It's not good enough in God's sight to go halfway. We need to go into enemy territory all the way to their goal line. Humble yourself. Put your personal pride aside. Do your absolute best to rebuild that relationship or at least to take away the sting from something you did or said or it's often something we didn't do. It could be something as simple as missing a birthday or accidentally saying something that came across to them in a wrong way. Even if you feel it's all their fault, this instruction from Jesus still stands and we've got to make the effort and as I said it's probably gonna have to happen more than once now I want to be clear this is not to say that you need to put yourself in harm's way we do not want anybody to be in physical danger or to set yourself up for any sort of a return to abuse but often those things are overblown and we use them as an excuse if we're honest most our disagreements and separations are based on things that are much more easily easily repaired if we can put away our personal pride and live our lives on God's side because if we don't well the next passage carries another very important warning verse 25 when you are on your way to court with your adversary settle your differences quickly otherwise your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison and if that happens you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny now, I think a lot of us these days in this time frame in history, we look at this and, and, and just, just kind of brush it aside because it doesn't, doesn't sound very realistic for most of us. But in those days, if you were convicted of owing somebody, even just owing them money, you would be thrown in jail until you could pay it off. And it's awfully hard to earn money when you're in lockup. But that part of the message was just to relate to those people in that day, and that time frame, to help them understand how serious it was to have a big disagreement with someone. This refers back to the first two passages that we talked about. You're so upset that you're going to court to fight about it. Now, while there are other New Testament scriptures that tell us that Christians should not sue each other, and I was studying a couple of them in 1 uh, Corinthians today, there never was a commandment from God or an instruction from Jesus when we take all the scriptures together it's clear that we should make every effort to avoid ever having to go into a courtroom over a disagreement especially with a Christian brother or sister but it's not prohibited completely and what jesus is saying here again the same thing if we make an effort to get our heart right from the very beginning and make an honest attempt to talk fairly and openly with the other person there's a pretty good chance we can avoid the confrontation and we, we, there's so many different things to, to play here. The Bible tells us we're always to think of others as better than ourselves. Jesus said to love others as much as we love ourselves. And this requires us to get outside of our own heads and to try to see things from their point of view. I uh, shake my head constantly when I hear of people uh, legal disagreements divorces whatever spending more money on lawyers and legal fees than the amount in the disagreement to start with and there we go again with that awful sin of pride the attitude that I must win at all costs what Jesus is saying is that any ongoing disagreement endangers our relationship not only with the other person but with Jesus himself and how in the world could that possibly be worth it he's also saying that when we do this we are at a high risk of hurting ourselves and the financial side is just the start because again this is the kind of issue that takes us right back to that simmering anger that so often erupts into murderous thoughts and from this passage for those of you who are reading ahead verse 21 all the way through verse 48 Jesus gives us a precise look at what our life would look like could look like if we truly lived up to the law in the way that god intended and this is very different from the way the church leaders back in those days and unfortunately many church people today think about obeying god's laws they back then we today have a tendency almost more like a need to create this false contemporary version of religious respectability And at times we can all tend to be harsh and oppressive in the way we apply it to the rest of the world those who believe or live differently and very often it's more important that we look good to others than that we are actually following the law as the Lord intended and that's exactly what happened to the Pharisees and the scribes back then in another place Jesus said they were like whitewashed tombs clean on the outside but dead on the inside And that is not right in God's sight. And please don't forget, we've mentioned this several times along the way, we've come to realize that whatever Jesus was trying to teach the religious elite back then, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious big shots, he is trying to teach to us today. Remember last time we talked about Matthew 5:20 where Jesus said, "But I warn you unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." And the people had to have heard that and went, "Oh my gosh, it's impossible to be more righteous than those folks. We'll never make it into heaven." But they were wrong because they were fooled by outside appearances. The Pharisees and the scribes were not in fact righteous. They just did a good job of pretending to look that way. And Jesus tells us God was not impressed with their religious behaviors designed to make them look bright and clean and pious and holy when their hearts were filled with evil. His aim, his deepest desire, is that our hearts are changed through our love of him, through our obedience to his word and our deep desire to come more and more like Jesus and the only way we can do that is through desiring embracing and accepting the teachings of Jesus that we are able to experience what he wants us to have entrance into the kingdom of heaven and once we arrive at that point we will begin to do the things that Jesus says to actually try ever been to a little league game ever been to one lately especially t-ballers you see the little ones they can barely find the ball I coached for many years and there was a little kid in center field he'd be out there chasing butterflies and the ball would go right by him he finally one time I said John you saw the ball you didn't go after it but you saw it you looked at it that's good And that's how Jesus is with us. He's happy when we make the effort, when we take one tiny step towards improvement and then the next, and then the next. Scripture says that you are to be perfect. But Jesus said that knowing that we're not. But we are to be. And if we love Him and obey Him, and do the things that he asks us, tells us, commands us to do, step by step, we become more and more like him. And on the day when he comes to take us home to the Lord, we will be perfect. You are to be perfect. And that is something to work toward. The Holy Spirit is here available for each and every one of us today. And when we leave, and we just need to remind ourselves He's with us, to ask Him to show us, to guide us every step, every day, all of the way.
0: This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. NCCABQ.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.